Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray that the Lord speaks to you as you hear from His Word today. If you're new here, my name is Pastor Matt, and I'm from the Charleston area. I've been senior pastor here a little under four years, uh, and we're going to dive in together like we do every week. We uh, hold services to encourage one another in the faith. Our services are more geared to those who call themselves followers of Jesus, uh, but we're always welcome and glad to have folks here uh, who are questioning, who are seeking. If you have questions that we can help you with, or if I say something that maybe doesn't quite uh, make sense, feel free to ask. I'll be out in the lobby or I'll be out, of course, at the picnic today. would love to meet you and would love to help you feel welcome so you can become a part of our circle of friends. Please take your Bible or your Bible app and open with me to John 15. John 15 is where we're going to study today. And while you're turning there, I want to tell you the story of how Sarah and I celebrated our 10th wedding anniversary. So we've been married 19 years, and I was thinking just this week, 20 is just around the corner next summer, and it reminded me of how we celebrated number 10. Uh, We went to Cancun, and I had no idea how to get to Cancun, so went down to National Travel across from the mall. I was still living in Charleston at the time, and I walked in and said, here's the dates. I, take me somewhere. Let me take my wife somewhere that she's going to really, really enjoy. Here's my budget. What can you do? And they sent us to a really great place. I don't know if anybody here works for National Travel, but uh, it's just a little shout out to a local business. I'm sure there's others here in the city. Uh, but they sent us to Cancun. Thankfully, they actually planned the whole thing. Um, You can check out the gun show and the sideburns there. Yeah. So love finding that picture. Hadn't seen that one in a while, but we dug that up this week out of the archives. And after this, it's going back in the archives. Um, But yeah, they planned the whole thing for us. And they planned the flights. They planned how, where we pick up our luggage. They even planned the vehicle that was going to pick us up when we got to Cancun. And they had the person there with our name on it, uh, you know, the friend family when we arrived. I was glad about that because I'd heard the stories about, you know, getting in the windowless van and making sure that you don't go with any strange people that you don't know. It was great. They acted or they planned out our entire trip. They were our travel guides. Well, this morning, I want to be your travel guide through the next year of church life. What I'm going to do today is something I don't do very often, but I'm actually going to preach a message that gives you a survey of where we're heading from now really through next Easter, almost until uh, next summer. Today, we begin a series entitled Made for More, and next week, we're going to start marching verse by verse through the book of Ephesians. It's one of the letters in the New Testament. And so today I'm going to kind of tell you where we're going to go in that series and why we're going to go there. But this morning I'm going to preach a message entitled Making Spiritual Friends because this theme is one of those themes that not only runs through the book of Ephesians, but it's a theme that also informs, we believe our elders and our pastors and our staff believe that this is the theme that God wants us to emphasize at Bible Center Church this year. And so we're going to talk about what it looks like to make spiritual friends. When we think about this particular theme, it's something that's not only found in the book of Ephesians, uh, but it's found throughout the entire Bible. And so along the way, we'll be pointing that out also. If you like reading books along with the book of Ephesians, let me recommend this book to you again. It's entitled Befriend by a man named Scott Sauls. A create belonging in an age of judgment, isolation, and fear. I cannot 
over recommend this book to you. We have them out in our lobby. Uh, we bought them for, I think, $12, $13, and we're selling them for 10 We would love to have every one of you to have a copy of Befriend before you go home today. Why am I so burdened for this message? Why am I so excited for this series? Well, I don't want to be morbid, but in church we talk a lot about life and death because Jesus talked a lot about life and death. And there's one thing I can guarantee you. On your deathbed, you will not be thinking about how much money you made. On your deathbed, you will not be thinking about your hobbies. You're not going to be thinking about your accomplishments. You're not going to be thinking about your popularity. You're not going to be thinking about your interests. There's something that I know true of every person in this room. You will be thinking about your friends and about your family. You'll be thinking about your friends and about your family. One of my mentors recently told me, he says, if you die with five close friends, you have died a rich man. Another mentor said, spend time in life with the people who will cry at your funerals, your funeral, not with those who won't. And so in the next few minutes, I want to prepare us for that. Let me encourage you to take notes. You can take notes on the app. They're also in the bulletin. If you prefer uh, the old-fashioned way, you can take notes that way. But I encourage you to study this with me throughout the week and ask the Lord to teach you from his word. Let's all stand together out of respect for the Bible. And I'm going to read from John 15, verses 9 through 17. John 15, starting in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his, one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you, this is my command, love one another. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. What do I want you to know today? What's our main point? Well, you could really sum it up into one sentence, and it's in your notes. The amount of joy in your life is directly connected to the quality of your friendships. The amount of joy in your life is directly connected to the quality of your friendships. When the Apostle Paul, the author of the book of Ephesians, wrote this letter, many scholars believe that he was actually pointing back and maybe even double-clicking on John chapter 15. You see, that's the way many of the letters in the New Testament were written, if that helps you understand. In the New Testament, the second half of the Bible, uh, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We call those the Gospels. And then after that, you've got Acts and Romans. And after Romans, you've got the rest of Paul's letters, Peter's letters, John's letters, a guy named James. Sometimes we're tempted to think that the words of Jesus are the ones that really matter. 
Maybe you have a Bible that has red letter edition, or maybe your online, your app shows the red letters. Well, it's the red letters, you think, that are the most important, and everything else is secondary. Well, actually, the red letters, of course, are important, if that's the way your Bible has printed it, but all the words of the Scripture are inspired and without error. They are God's words. But the way to understand the rest in the New Testament is this. Many of the letters of the New Testament were actually double-clicking on Jesus' words in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So Jesus said these things, he taught these things, he did these things, and even though some of the letters were written before Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they were pointing back to the words of Jesus that were well-known in the church within just a few years after Jesus. And that's the way it is with the book of Ephesians. Ephesians, we find, seems to be double-clicking on Jesus' words in John 15. There are a lot of similarities between the Gospel of John and the book of Ephesians. For one, the Gospel of John was actually written, scholars believe, in the city of Ephesus. But there's two themes that we're going to want to remember, and these two themes are in your notes. The two main emphasis, emphases in the book of Ephesians are our unity with Jesus and our union with one another, Jesus' family. Our unity with Jesus and our union with Jesus and our unity as Jesus's family. Those are two themes we're going to come back to over and over again over the next six months. Why do I want you to know this? Why are we so passionate about these truths? Well, it goes back to our main point. Because the amount of joy in your life is directly connected to the quality of your friendships. We can't get away from that truth in the scriptures. So what do I want you to do today? What can you do practically? What can you take away from a sermon like this? Three things, and they're all under the headings of make spiritual friends. First of all, make. What do we mean by that? Well, commit to the growth and flourishing of other Christians like you've never committed before. Commit to the growth and flourishing of other Christians like you've never committed before. That's what I'm going to ask you to be doing. That's what all of our pastors are going to be asking you to do over the course of this series. John 15, verses 12 and 13. Look for the words of commitment. Jesus said, My command is this, Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. These are words of choice, words of commitment, words of decision. Now I'll ask you, why in the world would Jesus have to over and over again encourage his people, challenge us to commit to the good and the growth of one another? Why would Jesus have to keep saying it over and over again? Jesus taught on other things, but loving God with all your heart and loving others were his two primary categories from which he taught. Why would he need to do that? And I think the answer is obvious. is because relationships are hard. Relationships are just hard. If you're new to church, let's say you recently became a Christian, or maybe you're just visiting and you're like, you know, this, this Christian thing, this is so great to be part of a place where everybody gets along. Well, just wait. You just, just wait and you'll find that that's not always the case. But if you think about it, it's not the case anywhere in life. It's not the case at your job. It's not the case at your home. It's not the case 
anywhere you go in the community, eventually relationships break down or they require determination and decision and commitment in order to get through their rough patches. And so God invites us to commit to these relationships. God created us for perfect relationships, but unfortunately, sin broke our relationships. Adam and Eve chose to sin against God. We've chosen to sin against God. That's why all of our relationships, as good as they may be, are never perfect. But thankfully, Jesus didn't leave us in that place, right? Jesus was born of a virgin. Jesus lived, and he lived the perfect life that you and I couldn't live. In all of his relationship tension, and Jesus had plenty of relationship tension, Jesus was never the sinner in the relationship. Never. Because he lived a perfect life. So much so, they crucified him. He died on a cross. He was buried, and he rose again the third day, conquering death, conquering this punishment, this payment for our sin. Jesus rises from the grave. He ascends into heaven and gives us his spirit through which we can have new relationships. So that leaves us where we are right now. Just because he died on the cross and rose again doesn't mean that all of our relationships are perfect, but right now we're being transformed through God's spirit, through God's word. We work at relationships. As Christians, we put our flag in the sand and we say, even though it's tough, even though it's, it's hard, I'm gonna commit to work on relationships. Easier said than done, but that's what God's calling us to. It's what he's calling me to in this series we're going to look at passages like Ephesians 4 that says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort. How many of us can say we've made every effort to mend a broken relationship? I know I can't. I want to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Verses 26 and 27. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Now think about all the people in your life who really need that verse, right? See their faces. I mean, the people in your life who need it the most, get them in your head. If you would include yourself in there, that would probably be a good idea. Verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for the building of others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. We're going to talk about these things over the next six months. We're going to get really specific. Be thinking about how you could apply it to your own life. Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ in Christ God forgave you. We're going to look at the family we're going to take some time and really slow down and look at the family. Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Some of you men are thinking, well, are you going to give us the verse for the wives? Not today. Not today. It's coming. It'll, it'll happen. But just let these words sink into your soul. Ephesians 6.1, children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. Chapter 6, verses 5 through 8, we're going to talk about your job. In this series, we're going to talk about work. You're like, does the Bible talk about work? All the time. Ephesians 6, 5 through 8, servants, we could say employees, respectfully obey your earthly masters, but always with an eye to obeying the real master, Christ. 
Don't just do what you have to do to get by, but work heartily as Christ's servants doing what God wants you to do. And work with us. Here we go. I didn't write this. Work with a smile on your face. Always keep in mind that no matter who happens to be giving the orders, you're really serving God. Some of us are managers, or you're a business owner. You lead people where you work. Masters, employers, it's the same with you. No abuse, please, and no threats. You and your servants are both under the same master in heaven. He makes no distinction between you and them. Throughout this series, God's going to call us to commit to the growth and flourishing of other Christians. Christianity isn't a solo sport. This is a family. This is a team. And we're going to ask God to do this in all of our hearts. That's make, making spiritual friends. Let's talk about spiritual for a minute. What do we mean by spiritual friends? Well, this idea of spiritual, I mean this. Seek to know and love Christ more than you've ever known and loved him before. Seek to know and love Christ more than you've ever known and loved him before. Let's hear the words of Jesus in John 15, verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands, and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be complete." What does it mean to remain or abide? Some of your translations use the word abide. What does it mean to abide in God's love? Well, I like to think of it like the way an apple tree, the branches of an apple tree are connected to the trunk of the tree. That's probably an illustration that most of us here in West Virginia can resonate with. This idea of connection, this idea of dependence, this idea of being continually connected. The branch can't produce apple fruit unless it stays connected to the trunk. It depends on the trunk every minute for its life and for its productivity. Think about relationships in your life. I was thinking about Sarah and me. Uh, We will blow each other's phone up most days. I love, love my wife. And we will send each other emojis and hearts and and other things I'm not going to share with you from the pulpit, but we, we, we send each other things because we have a relationship. We, we love each other, and we're sinners just like you are, but we love each other. And I was thinking about abiding, this relationship of abiding this week. Actually, yesterday, some of us came back from an elder retreat, and I rode home with Mike DeTemple, one of our elders, and Mike's a great guy and considered to be kind of you know bold dude. A man's man, you know. And then his, his wife, she's, she's a leader in our community, Julie. And, and so I'm in the car with him, and Pastor Mike's in the car with him, and Julie calls in, and he answers like in this meek, you know, like teddy bear voice, you know, like, hello? I'm like, who are you, right? And, and, and he tells her right up front, you know, hey, Mike and, and Matt are in the car, and he's talking all sweet and soft, and she's talking all sweet and tender and all this. And I'm like, who are you and what did you do with Mike, you know, bold Mike? But it's because they have this tender relationship with one another. And we're in the car and they're talking about, you know, what did you order for drink? Well, I ordered a Diet Coke. What did you order? And I'm like, good grief, who cares what you ordered, you know, to drink? And it's okay if I do it, but it's not okay if, if you do it. And, and evidently he forgot the lettuce, picking up the lettuce at the grocery store. And she's telling him, hey, you forgot the lettuce at the grocery store. And, and, 
And even though I'm making fun of him right now because I love him, that's an example of abiding. You see, their conversation was never about Diet Coke. It was never about the lettuce. The conversation was about connection. Your relationship with Jesus is never about how many chapters you read or how many hours a day you pray. Your, your connection to Jesus is about a relationship. It's, it's one of my mentors, I asked him one time, tell me how many minutes or hours a day do you pray? And he told me this, and I am not there, but I want to get there. He said, it is easier for me to tell you how many minutes and hours I'm not praying. I just constantly talk to the Lord when there's something on my heart. That's the kind of relationship I want. That's the kind of relationship I want for you. And we can help each other get to that place of spiritual friendship with Jesus and one another. I read a book this week. It's not the book recommendation, but it's a recommended book still. David Benner, in his book Sacred Companions, wrote this. The supreme gift that anyone can give another is to help that person live life more aware of the presence of God. Christian spirituality is, of course, something much more specific. Christian spirituality involves working out our existence within the context of the Christian faith and community. Spiritual friends nurture the development of each other's soul. Their love for each other translates into a desire that the other settle for nothing less than becoming all that he or she was intended to be. What they offer each other in response to this desire is not a professional role, nor is it specialized expertise. In other words, you don't have to have a degree in this to do it. Rather, it is the gift of themselves and their companionship on the transformational journey of Christian spirituality. The Apostle Paul said the same thing in less words in Ephesians 1.7. When he wrote to this church that we're going to see next week, we're going to do verses 1 through 10 next week, or I guess this is 17, two weeks. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you may know Him better. Later in chapter 3, he's going to say that you may love Him better. Now the church at Ephesus, the neat thing about this church is that's all through the New Testament. You're going to want to make a note of this, and it's also, I think, in your notes. There's no multiple references. You'll notice in your notes there's the reference of Revelation chapter 2 verses 1 through 7, because God actually writes to the church at Ephesus decades after he writes the letter that we're going to study starting next week. Do you remember what he says in the book of Revelation to the church at Ephesus? He says, I have somewhat against you because you have left your what? You've left your first love. Over and over again, God wanted the hearts of this church. In Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, he bragged on their ability to know doctrine. He bragged on their ability to make decisions about guarding the church. But he said, hey, yes, have the right doctrine. Make the right decisions. But don't forget, don't forget to love me. And I sense from God's spirit that that's a message that we could take at Bible Center. We know right doctrine. And we make, by God's grace, good decisions. But do you love Christ? Do you love Jesus? 
That's what we're going to dig into in the book of Ephesians. This isn't just about what you know. It's about who you love. Christ is the heart of making spiritual friends. Making spiritual and then lastly, friends. What do we mean by friends? Regularly gather in community with your spiritual friends in hopes of multiplying even more spiritual friends. Regularly gather in community with your spiritual friends in hopes of multiplying even more spiritual friends. Notice Jesus' words as he finishes this section. He says in John 15, verse 14, You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. And he takes all of that and he turns it to each other. He says, this is my command, love each other. This was a bold thing for Jesus to have said. You see, prior to this in the Old Testament, to my knowledge, there were only two people ever called the friend of God. One was Abraham, explicitly, and one was Moses, implicitly. This was a high honor. If you were a follower of God, you knew that Moses, well, he was the friend of God, or, or, or Abraham, he was the friend of God. But Jesus says, no, you. If you're a follower of Christ, God calls you his friend. So think about what Jesus did with his friends when he walked the earth. He ate with his friends. He drank with his friends. He walked with him and talked with him. He shared his most joyful experiences and his most painful experiences. He shared insights and secrets that were not disclosed to those outside the circle of friends. He offered them emotional support, repeatedly assuring them that there was no need for them to fear. Think about John 14, 1. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. Jesus knew that we needed connection. We were actually to, we crave connection. We were made to crave connection like a puzzle piece, if it were alive, would crave connection. That's the way God made our souls. We need each other. And this is one of the reasons God wrote the book of Ephesians, to encourage this church to live out their faith, not as lone rangers, but as connected members, committed members of the family. Now, maybe you ask, Pastor Matt, how can I do that? How can we practically live that out? There's a number of ways. I'm just going to give you a few as we close. One way to do it is think about the person you've been sitting next to church recently. Maybe you've introduced yourself, they've introduced yourself, but you can't really remember your name. Don't worry, happens to me all the time. But that person maybe you sat with for two weeks or 20 years in church. Hey, what if you just went over and said, hey, can you remind me of your name again? And what if you just prayed for him throughout the week? What if maybe you invited him to lunch one day after church? Say, hey, you want to grab lunch? It's not like a huge commitment. You're not signing any papers. You know, you're not entering into a contract. It's just lunch. Think about what could happen. Maybe you could do that every Sunday or a few Sundays a month and just meet new people. You could start with the friends already in your life. Maybe you're already gathering often at your house or at a restaurant with a group of Christian friends. What I'm not telling you to do is to forsake those Christian friends. 
even if they don't go to Bible Center. I'm not saying forsake them for something else, but what would it look like for you to start your own group, just to be a group? Pastor Mike's going to be out in the lobby after the service. He can help you, but what I'm excited especially about today is our lunch on the lawn and the opportunities during and before, during, and after for you to be able to make more friends and connect with groups. We have lunch on the lawn today. We'll throw that up on the screen. We have in, out in the lobby and out in the, uh, out in the foyer, be it right outside the doors during the lunch on the lawn, we're going to have the opportunity for you, you get to know our group leaders, all the group leaders that Pastor Mike mentioned a moment ago and a number of others. They're going to be out there. Some are going to be mingling. Some are going to be at the table. If you're interested in finding a group that matches your night of the week or your day of the week or your location, part of town, or a group of people that kind of fits maybe with your life stage. They can help you. I want to strongly encourage you. Belong in a group. Be in a place where if you're gone, everybody knows your name. We've got groups on every day of the week. We've got groups in every classroom of this building on Sundays. We've got men's groups. We've got women's groups. I don't want anyone to fall through the cracks and not be cared for, and not be loved, and not be helped, but also for you to offer that group the life and experience that God has given you. C.S. Lewis wrote this. He said, friendship is born at that moment when one person says to another, what, you too? I thought I was the only one. I'm in a community group here at Bible Center, not because just I'm the senior pastor and I want to set a good example. I'm in a community group because I need to be in a community group, right? And when I first started here for a couple of years, I was like, you know, I'm too busy. I don't have time to get in a community group. I'll tell my church to get in a community group, but you know, I don't really have time to get in a community group or a Sunday group. And then the Lord just really spoke to my heart. I need community just like you need community. Now our community group meets on Sunday nights. And we've kind of got an eclectic, ragtag group of people because I'm in the group. And we meet on Sunday evening. Sometimes we meet at a restaurant. We text each other, hey, what restaurant we're going to meet at? None of us have really small kids, and so it's a little different life stage than maybe your needs. Sometimes we meet in homes. But here lately, we've been saying, how can we pray for one another? And it has been life-changing for me, right? For me in the group to tell the group, this is what I need you to pray for me about. Not just surface stuff, but real needs that are in my life, that, are, that Sarah can share. Needs in the others, members of the group. We have a blast. I don't know what I would do without my group, and I don't want you to do without one either. Why am I so passionate about this? Why are we talking about this? It goes back to our main point. The amount of joy in your life is directly connected to the quality of your friendships. I don't want you to do life alone. I don't want you to do marriage on your own, singleness on your own, addiction on your own, hurts on your own. I don't want you to raise kids on your own. I don't want you to worship and read your Bible and pray only on your own. I want you to have people 10 years, 20 years, 30 years from now that you can do life with. You say, well, Pastor Matt, I'm 60. If I do life with somebody until I'm 90, that's, that's a long, yeah, it's great. All right, I want to join you one day. I tell our pastors here, I want, to, I want us to be doing life together for decades to come. We all want to be sitting on a front porch yelling at kids to get off our lawn together. I want to be that guy. 
Doing life over a long period of time is transformational because that's the way Jesus designed it. Commit to the growth and flourishing of other Christians like never before. Seek to know and love Christ more than you've ever known and loved him before. And regularly gather in community with your spiritual friends in hopes of multiplying even more. Once again, thank you for joining us this week. We look forward to serving you in next week's podcast, along with our weekend services every Sunday morning at 9 and 11 a.m.